0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. So did you come to be changed this morning? This is lesson number five called by faith we're talking about the subject of faith Um, we're going to do that for a while I guess until I get a inspiration to do something other but uh, look in second Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 the Apostle Paul making a statement for now I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand I have fought a good fight I have finished my course notice those statements I fought a good fight I have kept the faith, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. This morning I want to talk about the importance of faith, but also how important it is for us to continue in the faith throughout our entire life. Why? Because it's very easy for us to slip back into reasoning and allow reasoning to override our faith in God. In Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, what are we told? We trust the Lord with our heart, we lean not to our own understanding. In our ways we acknowledge Him and He directs our paths. It is very easy for us to gravitate toward our own understanding. Remember, faith is of the heart, not the head. So the the true fight of faith is comparing what God said to what reason says, and, leaning toward what God said and not what man said. And once again that's a difficult transition for all of us to make in life because we're so prone to being led by our five physical senses which basically tell us how to function in this life. Now, in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 11 and 12, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that you be not lazy slotful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, so what is he saying? There are those that are examples in the Word of God that will enable us to better understand how we can finish our course in faith the way they did. Also, there are those that we have revealed in Scripture that we can learn some things that we shouldn't do the mistakes that they made. We can learn from the mistakes that they made and we can not make those same mistakes. And so we're going to talk about three individuals today. Two that started fast and ended slow. And one that started slow and ended fast. So you could say two started strong and ended weak. But the one, the last one started weak and ended strong. So the first one we're going to look at is King Asa. His name means healer or physician. And in 2 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16, we have his story, his life story. So, King Asa was the third king of Judah. And as a third king of Judah, what he decided to do was initially tear down all the images, all the shrines, see to it that he stopped any practice of idolatry that was taking place and all the sinful habits that they were engaged and involved in. And after doing that, he was going to then establish or institute uh, a series of, of re- religious practices that they would now participate in and once again honor Jehovah God as the living God in the nation of Israel and Judah. Well, let's read it. Second Chronicles 14. So Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David and Asa his son reigned in the st- his stead. In his days the land was quiet Ten years because of what he did. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places. And broke down the images and cut down the groves. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord of their fathers. And to do the law and the commandment. Also he took away of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images. And the kingdom was quiet before him. So for 10 years, they had the favor of God upon them and they had peace. So he starts off with a bang, strong in his faith, and dares to step out and say, this is it. We're tearing down all this and we're going to serve God, going to put him first. Well, then after that takes place, all of a sudden, after 10 years of peace Ethiopia decides they amassed this great army of 900,000 foot soldiers, 100,000 horsemen, and 300 chariots. And they're going to invade Judah. What does he do? He cries out to God in his faith and believes God for a miracle. And what does God do? Let's read it. Starting at verse 9. He intervenes. And there came out against them... Zerah the Ethiopian, with an host of a thousand thousand or a million, and three hundred chariots, and came to Marisha. Then Asa went out against him, and they sent battle in array in the valley of Zephitha, and Marisha. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let no man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now they've got 20 years. As a matter of fact, you're going to see this As Azariah lets him know that it was God that delivered them because they believed in Him. They trusted in Him. Human reasoning would say they've got over a million. We've got probably 400,000. Odds are more than 2 to 1. But we're going to trust God. We're going to believe God. They had their faith that God would see them through the victory and He did. Now, let's pick it up. Go on uh, to chapter 15, verse 8. When Asa heard these words... And the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and Benjamin. He expands now. And out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was fallen before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. And they fell to him out of the Israel abundance. And when they saw that the Lord had his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil, which they had brought 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep, and they entered into a covenant, seek the Lord of their God, of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever should not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. Pretty strict. Whether small or great, whether man or woman, and they swear to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting, with trumpets and with cornets. Cornets, And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. So we see the peace continues, the tranquility continues, and they know that it came from God. And Asa is on fire. He's believing God. Expecting God to pull through and come through. He does everything necessary to see to it that he has the favor of God upon all of Judah. But then something happens. Something happens in his heart. As we look into chapter 16 what we discover is this. Israel now is going to invade Judah. But suddenly instead of looking to the Lord like he did before... He makes an agreement with the Syrian king. Actually, he bribes him. And what he wants to do is to have the Syrian king call out war against Israel so that they'll leave Judah alone. But there's a catch to it. He has to bribe them. And what he uses as the bribe is the treasury in Solomon's temple. The Lord's treasury. And the treasury of his palace. And so he puts forth the bribe. The king takes it. Calls war against Israel. And there's still peace in Judah. He used his own reasoning. To reason out. To do it his way. Instead of the Lord's way. And let's just see if the Lord was happy. Look at verse 7 of chapter 16. Let's find out if the Lord was happy pink about this. And at the time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah And said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the host of the king of Syria escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge host, with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you did rely on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa repented. Oh. No. Then Asa was rough, angry with the seer or the prophet, and put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. And behold, the acts of Asa, first and last, lo, they are written in the book of the Kings of Judah and Israel and Asa in the 30 and 9th year of his reign was disease in his feet until his disease was exceeding great yet instead of going to the medical center <laughs> he went to a sorcerer instead of going to the Lord he went to a sorcerer. The physician back there was a sorcerer and Asa slept with his fathers and died in the 1 and 4th year of his reign Here's a man that started strong, but how many know this is a long haul, not a short distant race? And as time went on, he gravitated more towards reason than faith in God. And look, look how he became. Look what he did. And we're going to talk about a few lessons we learned from his life. But the point is, Asa started strong, but he ended very weak in faith. And as a result, of course. He didn't receive all the full benefits that God had for him. Now look at the next one, and this one's going to alarm you. King David. We love King David. But, my. King David, we're told, is a man after God's own heart. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're talking about someone right out of the gate. Is a man on fire. And his faith is off the charts. I challenge anyone here in this service today... To even think about doing what David did right here. Let's read 1 Samuel 17 and 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail thee because of him that is Goliath the giant. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. He's 15 years old. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. What a send off. Go ahead, go do it. I mean, is he on fire? Is he ablaze right now with faith? Is his faith alive and vibrant and powerful and strong? There's not, not a shadow of doubt in his mind that the outcome is set. Well, as we fast forward, he's already become king and all that. We're going, to re- we're going to go fast forward right now And as far as his life. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. It came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when the kings have a siesta. No. What do they do? What do the kings do? They go to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Sin number one he did not go out to war. By this time we see all this faith diminishing in his life he's now given place to pride and arrogance barking out orders just thinking he can do it the way he wants to do it and now it continues. And it came to pass in an tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon and David sent and inquired after the woman and and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned into her house. And the woman conceived, and sent, and told David, and said, I am with child." So now we see that David, who was so on fire in his faith, all of a sudden, stops doing it God's way, and starts doing it his way, exercising his authority, abusing his authority, and Bathsheba had no choice but to go and be with the king whatsoever. She is completely innocent in this matter. It was all on David. Well David has a plan and his plan is go send for Uriah her husband and have him come here. He's in war right now. He is a war hero. He is a man of tremendous integrity and character. But bring him back so he brings him back from, from war and he says to him, now I want you to go and just go ahead and have a wonderful time, you know, with your family and with your wife and all that because he's, David wants to cover up his sin and make it look like it's Uriah's child and not his child. But you see, he comes up against a man of character, a war hero who says to him, mm, I can't do that. Well, what do you mean you can't do that? I can't do that. How can I do that when my fellow soldiers are at war and there was back then, that was one of the things that they did. You just don't do that when you're at war. I've got my brothers, they're out there at war and they're sacrificing their lives and you think I'm going to be here and just have a good time with my family, with my wife? Uh Uh-uh. David has another thought, another plan. Let's get him drunk. Let's give him a lot to drink. And once he finally gets drunk, then he'll just go ahead and he'll be motivated that way. And he finds out he just sleeps at his door. He makes certain he does not go anywhere. He's not going to do this thing. So he has Plan 3. And what's Plan 3? He's going to repent, right? Uh, No. He's not going to repent. Plan 3 is he writes a letter to Joab who's at war, puts it in the hand of Uriah and the letter says, kill him. When you go to the hottest part of the battle, where it's really heated, withdraw. Not only did Uriah die, but others died as a result of David's sin. Can you imagine him carrying this loyal man of integrity This wonderful war hero who was someone who was committed and dedicated so much so more than David in character that he would not in any way do what was wrong. And he's carrying a note to Joab. He hands it to him. And it was his death certificate. Anybody think God was happy about that? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, look at that verse 11. And let's, let's let's hear it from the lips of Uriah himself. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house and to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife, as thou livest, as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. Well, look at 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 20. And look at this happening in the life of David. You see, what's happening is he started strong in faith. But all of a sudden, pride took over. Pride goes before destruction. haughty Spirit before a fall. And all of a sudden, his reasoning is kicking in. He's going to do it his own way. It came to pass that after the year was expired, that at the time that kings go out to battle. You hear that again? What time is it? For kings to go out to battle. Isn't that something? That Uriah would not be with his wife because they were out to battle. And David would be with Uriah's wife when he should have been in the battle. And David was awakened probably, possibly out of guilt, I don't know, when he was walking on that rooftop and looking down. Maybe he couldn't sleep because he was feeling somewhat convicted that he wasn't out to battle with everybody else. I don't know. I don't know his thoughts. But isn't it something? He would do that when her own husband would not do that. So, it came to pass that after the year was expired, the time the kings went out to battle, Joab led forth the power of the army and wasted the country of the children of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried at Jerusalem. And Joab smote Rabbah and destroyed it. He does it again. Now it gets a little bit worse. Look at chapter 21 and verse 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now he's listening to Satan. Whoa! Wow. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. Now, we're not going to take time to explore all this, but do you know what happened here? David brought judgment on Israel. And the Lord said, How about this one? A, B, C. Multiple choice. You can choose what you want. A, you can have three years of famine, will be your judgment. B, You can have three months of destruction from the hand of your enemy. Or C, you can have three days of pestilence that he will remove his hand of protection and allow to pour out upon you. And David says, I don't like A and B. Three years of famine, three months of slaughter. So David says, I'm choosing C. I'm sorry I was wrong. But you see, it was unconditional judgment because of what he had done. So what happens? 70,000 die. 70,000 people die by the pestilence because of David's sin. Why is he numbering the troops? Joab said, don't number the troops. Now he's reasoning. I got to find out how many we have because we have to fight our enemy, and I don't know if we have enough to fight our enemy. We got to make sure we have enough. He's using human reasoning where before he could stand before all the Philistines and the giant himself and just say, "This day will my God deliver you into my hand." This is—he's in his forties now. He was fifteen then. Let me ask a question: Where's the David of Psalm 20? Verses six through nine. Let's read those. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed, He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save Lord, let the king hear us when we call. Where is that David from his youth? that said, I can run through a troop, I can leap over a wall by my God. Now he's fallen victim, why? Because he left the realm of faith, entered the realm of reason, and started living his life in pride, in arrogance. Wow! Then we have this next fellow, and thank God for Abraham. He started slow, but he finished strong. Look in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and I thee, and shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Okay. Abram is obedient, and it says in Hebrews that by faith he left all that he had behind to find a city whose builder and maker was God. And so he stepped out into the will of God for his life. Did he not? But we're going to find out when he got there at a certain place, He couldn't believe that God would provide because there was a famine. So he had to migrate over to Egypt and in his migration, what did he do? He said to his wife, Sarah, some say Sarai, and then she became Sarah, but says, look, I fear for my life. If they know we're married, if the Egyptians know that you're my wife, they're going to kill me because they want you. Please tell them you're my sister. He has her to tell a half-truth because a half-sister. But apparently he stepped out in faith, but his faith wasn't developed yet, was it? He couldn't believe that God could provide for him. He couldn't believe God could protect him from these kings. Let's read it. Look at chapter 12, verse 11 through 13 and then 20, 11 through 13. It came to pass when he was come near into Egypt that he said to Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look at, therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say I pray that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of you. Whew. Look at chapter 20, Abimelech, and Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in his place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, this is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. What is he saying? I can't believe God can protect me. I need you to protect me, honey. It's okay for you to lay down your life for me, but I need to be protected here. So, he starts out in somewhat faith to flee his homeland to find a place that God wanted to be. But he has a problem believing God for provision. He has a problem believing God for protection, right? And there's something more in Genesis 17, 15-18. And God said to Abraham, It's for Sarai thy wife. Thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham bowed on his knees and worshipped God with enthusiasm and excitement. No, he laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said to God, "Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I'm done with diapers and formula and all that. Does that sound like a man of faith to you? Not at all. So he starts slow. He does step out. He can't believe God for provision or protection and now he can't believe that God can work a miracle on the body of Sarah, his wife, so that he can reconstruct her in such a way that she can bear a child. Well, what happens is, let's read these. I wasn't going to read but let's read Romans chapter 4. This is the same man. After going through certain things, he gets to a place that he recognizes the fact that that God means what He says. And you know what? I'm going to throw reason out the window. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how impossible it seems to be. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who we believe, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadest of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform and therefore was imputed to him for righteousness. Boy, what a contrast here. He starts off really weak and boy he's getting stronger. But look at this next one in Hebrews chapter uh, 11. Chapter 11, verse 17 to 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall I see be called, accounting that God was able to raise him, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Oh my goodness. Here is a man who could not believe that God could create life, who now is believing that God can create it, And resurrected from the dead. I would call that an increase of faith. Wouldn't you? Imagine. No wonder he's called the father of our faith. So he believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. So as we look at these situations. And these individuals. What do we learn? How can this apply to our lives? Well we've got some things written down here for you to look at. As far as life principles or examples that we can follow, let's take a look first of all at the life of Asa. Asa once again started strong, but he ended weak. Number one, what did he do? Put God first. How does this apply to my life? Put God first. I am to tear down anything that is above God in my life. Get rid of it it has no place to be first in our lives. Who comes first? He comes first. Trust Him when you're challenged. The Ethiopians came and when he trusted God, he got victory. When he didn't trust God, he got defeat. Thirdly, praise Him for every miracle, everything He does for us. And I mean praise him from the depth of our souls because imagine if it were not for what he did for them the Ethiopians would have eaten them for lunch but thank God for what he did that they were still alive and functioning and then finally we see that we're not to the fourth one up there resist it. no that's the wrong one the first one that's okay I know what it is see to it that we prepare ourselves for the long haul. It's important that we prepare ourselves, let's say, for the, for the duration of our lives. It's one thing to say, I'm born again, I'm serving God, I'm loving God, you know, and we've got some miracles that have taken place in our lives. But you can see that this man was not prepared for the long haul. He wasn't prepared to finish his course like Paul did. Well, how do we do that? Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning at verse 1, three steps here, three S's to make it easy for us to remember. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, everybody say saints you realize while we sit here we have a grandstand of witnesses up there before us and they're up there giving us a message come on you can do it they're egging us on and they're saying come on keep the faith come on walk with God come on see to it that you live your life in such a way so as to serve the living God because why we're experiencing our rewards we've got the victory we thank God praise God for all that He's done for us, but there is a reward up here. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. And so He want, they want us to know. There is a reason why we live this life. There's a reason why you brave the snow to be here in church today. Not just to, just to be here, because you love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You put Him first. You could have been doing all kinds of other things today, but you chose to come to church. You chose to serve God. You chose to put Him first. You chose to honor Him. And why? We know that there's a company of people up there. They're waiting for us. I know Ace is up there. I'm sure that David's up there. I'm sure that Peter's up there. Paul's up there. I'm sure that all all the other saints of old are up there. And they're waiting for us to get up there to be with them in glory. That motivates us. Number two, as we read on. Let us, us, us. Everybody say self. Self. Let us. Number one, saints. Number two, self. Let us Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us." Now this is something that we take responsibility for. I've got to set aside those things that weigh me down in my Christian walk. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be hobbies. It could be this. It could be that. It could be the other thing. It could be all kinds of things. It could be sports. It could be activities. It could be shopping. I mean, it could be all kinds of craziness. It could be your car that you exalt above the things of God. It could be all kinds of things. But he said, lay aside the weights that will weigh us down and and basically burden us and hold us back from finishing our course. And the sins, deal with them. Get them out. Thirdly, looking unto whom? Savior, Jesus our Savior. The author and finisher of our faith Who the hope for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So that we don't faint along the way, keep looking at Jesus. So number one, remember the saints that are there in glory. Number two, work on self, not your neighbor but yourself. And number three, praise God, keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll always lead us in the right direction. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, what do we learn from the life of David? David started off strong. But he didn't finish well. He started off strong and we can learn from that. He knew his covenant with God. He understood the covenant that he had with God. He called Goliath, what? An uncircumcised Philistine. Did he not? So you don't have a covenant with God. And because you don't have a covenant with God... I'm coming against you, but not with my weapons, but with the name of the Lord of hosts whom you defied. Praise God. I'm coming against you. And then, powerful truth. We've taught this over and over again. What did David do? He spoke the word. He spoke the word. He spoke the word. He kept on speaking the word. He proclaimed his faith. He, he confessed his faith. He declared his faith. He listened to every foul word that came out of the mouth of Goliath. All the venom he spewed out with doubt and unbelief to inject it to David's young mind. And when he got done talking, David basically said, it's my turn now. You're going to think you're going to beat me with a sword and a spear and a, and a shield that you've got? Come at me with all you got, all your weapons. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts who delivered me from the lion, who delivered me from the bear, and who will deliver me out of your hand. So it doesn't matter who you are, what you have, what armies behind you, I serve the living God and He will not fail me. Amen. Confess the word, declare the word is exactly what He did. But the third thing is what He did not do and what was that? Resist the devil. Satan came and told him, Hey, count the number and see whether or not you can do it. And what does he do? He does exactly what the devil told him to do. He didn't resist. We want to finish our course. We got to do some resisting to get the devil to flee from us. Get thee behind me, Satan. You're not listening. You're not concerned about the things of God, but I am. So, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not listening to you. And then finally, we learned this from David. Don't give in to fleshly desires. Don't give in under the pressure to give in to fleshly desires like he did. It's just not going to get us where we want to be. And then finally, the Abraham. And Abraham, uh, once again, a, a perfect example of faith. And first thing that he does is what? He surrenders all. Does he not? He leaves everything behind. Family. Occupation. Whatever he was doing at the era of the Chaldees, he left all that behind. And now what is he doing? I'm surrendering all to you, Lord. I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to empty myself of my self-will. I'm going to follow your plan, your purpose, and your will for my life. And that's exactly what he chose to do. And as a result, of course, his faith life began. Secondly, it's important to realize that when we fall along the way, And you realize we're going to fall along the way. We're not going to always do the right thing. He didn't start doing the right thing from the beginning. He fell along the way. Look what he did with his wife. It's unthinkable. But he did it. He couldn't believe that God could do a miracle. But he allowed God to teach him. We need to allow him to teach us. We need him to teach us his ways. And boy, do we ever need to know that. Do we not? What is the right way? Okay, so God provides mercy when we fall. God provides forgiveness when we fall. And I'll be honest with you, He provides grace, which is the power to rise up and go forth, and next time we're challenged, to overcome. Praise God. The third thing we see from His life, He learned that, look, nothing is impossible with God Obviously, if you can recreate a woman's body so that she can bring forth life. And if you can raise the dead, which is what he decided that could be done. Then anything and everything is possible to you. Because we're talking about life and death here. Everything that pertains to life and death is possible with you, the living God. Amen. And finally, and oh how important this is because we all war with human reasoning. Anybody here war with human reasoning? Does your reasoning sometimes get in the way of your faith? Right? When we're challenged in this life? Meditation helps us overcome reason. Meditation helps us overcome reason. Here's Abraham. My son will have children. Kill him. My son will have children. Kill him. My son will have children, offer him a sacrifice. Lord, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. What do you mean? He's gonna have children kill him? I just, I just can't understand this, Lord. Help me by your spirit to understand what you're saying to me, Lord. Oh, I see it now. If I kill him, you are committed to raising him from the dead. I got it now. It's as easy as pie. Whoa. Would you want to be Abraham at that moment? Would you want to have a knife over your son's chest ready to kill him and offer him as that sacrifice? None of us would want to be in that position, would we? No. But guess what? He was so confident. God, you cannot lie. You swore by an oath. You have got to bring him from the dead if I kill him. What did that? Meditation. And listen, the psalmist said, in Psalm 119, 97, Great is thy law, how much I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day long. In the first psalm, blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night, that he may be be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf will not wither and whatever he does is going to prosper. He will succeed. And what did he tell Joshua? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you are to meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Can you imagine if Asa would have just sat back just for a moment and just said, Let me think this through. Let me think this through. You delivered me from the Ethiopians. You will deliver me from Israel. What a difference it would have made. Can you imagine if even David would have done the same thing and just said, I remember the days of my youth. That might have been 32 years ago, but you're the same. If anyone changed, who changed? David. He could have gone back and just said, this is the wrong thing to do. I better go out to war. Is that a lesson in itself? If you were, you should have been David. You would have not have seen Bathsheba on the roof, and you would not have been in the trouble that you were in. I really have to drive this home, though, because this is really something that's almost—you could say sickening—in your heart when you when you think about this tremendous man with a heart after God, who God says you're a man after My own heart can do this not just to a friend a war hero a man of tremendous character tremendous integrity someone who was faithful to his soldiers who would lay down his life for the kingdom and you do that to him it puts Uriah's character up here and David's character right here and if we all know the story he was denied the right to build the temple and he had a horrible rest of his life